Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Well, welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez with you today and Jan Roos. Did I pronounce your last name correctly, Jan? Yeah, that's perfect. Excellent. Well, hello, Jan. How are you? And welcome to the show. Good, good. Great to talk to you, Henry. Excellent. Well, let me give our listeners a bit of background on you. Uh, Jan is the founder of ExpertEngines.co, and we're going to get into who that is, what that is, and what they offer. Uh, he previously co-founded another company called Vitality Sciences, and that was a business focused on nutritional supplements and sports nutrition. Uh, prior to starting his own business, he had a successful career in the corporate world, working for various large companies, and we'll chat a little bit about that transition. And Expert Engines, his current business, is a boutique digital agency that specializes in fast, high-quality lead generation. So obviously we will be talking about that. So once again, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. And please, if you would fill in uh, some of the gaps there on what you're currently doing and a bit more about yourself. Yeah, gotcha. So uh, Expert Engines has been a fun project that I've been working on for a little bit here in the city, in New York City. It's been really great because we've been finding some good success with something that was kind of a problem. It was sort of a scratch row niche kind of business. Uh, that I started after having some issues with hiring marketing people at Vitality Sciences, my first company. So one of the things in, in sort of the corporate background part, uh, I did a lot of work in marketing and sales for a while. Uh, I've done everything from, you know, I've, I've worked for a couple billion dollar companies. I've sold everything uh, from $35 bottles of supplements to, you know, $100,000 server installations to giant organizations. So I've, I've been kind of all over the map on that stuff. But at the end of the day, the marketing that we do here at Expert Engines is really kind of geared towards that, you know, getting money that's you're investing back into your checking account as soon as possible, because it's uh, really, really hard to find people like that, especially when you're small business. And the first time I actually hired an AdWords agency, we pretty much lost our shirt, you know, the retainer, the budget, the whole thing. And I was like, it is way too easy for people to do this. And I just wanted to put a better option out there. And that's uh, what we ended up doing for the company. Excellent. And that's such a key point about getting that money back into the bank account as soon as possible, because as you know, working with small businesses, budgets, cash flow are such a major concern. And, and we keep coming back to, I've had various guests that are in some form or another in the online marketing space, but it's so critical. And as you know, a lot of small business owners are just paralyzed by it all because they don't know which direction to turn or they've had a bad experience. And I'm sure you've come across clients like that. Oh, for sure. That's, that's the thing. I mean, you kind of have the two major buckets of clients that we run into are people who are really scared and you, you kind of have to hold their hand and, and, and make sure that they can trust you to get the results that you have. And, and that, you know, every time you get success with that, it makes it a little bit easier because you have something to point towards. And uh, also, yeah, there's the people who just get burned. Uh, it's it's just kind of sad that it, and it, it depends on on the different areas. I mean, some styles of online marketing are a little bit less transparent by nature. 
But yeah, I, I like to make it as, as easy of a decision as possible by, by providing data for the most part when we start working with clients as well. Yeah. So you're in the city. Are you in Manhattan or what borough are you in? Yes, sir. Uh, we are based in Manhattan, uh, currently working out of Greenwich Village for the most part. But uh, now we'll go all the way out. <laughs> like, we don't really make it to Staten Island. We'll go, uh, we'll go Manhattan. But we have the, the teams based <laughs> all over the country, though. It's uh, 100% remote. Yeah, yeah, I was just curious as to you personally. When we had chatted earlier to make sure quality and connection was good, you had some of the typical New York City background noise, and I thought I thought of those NPR shows. I don't know if you've listened to NPR on <laughs> the radio, you know, where they get super acute on the background noise to to get you there, audio wise. I thought that was so. Our listeners, if you hear the city in the background, that's because he's in the city. Yeah, it's just the way it is. <laughs> uh, I'll be up in the city next week, actually, for a long weekend trip. We go up often. My daughter loves going up there, and she aspires to maybe one day live in the city, but we'll, we'll see. She's got to get through college first. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. So in this episode, folks, uh, Jan's going to share his entrepreneurial story. We'll start there, that transition that we are all have gone through or most of us have gone through. And then we'll dive into the specifics on this topic of online marketing, lead generation, and he's got some great info to share. And then at the end of the show, Jan's going to share a special offer for our listeners. So we'll we'll get to that at the end of the show. We'll be sure to listen for that. So let's start at the beginning, and that's that transition from working in the corporate world to becoming your own boss. Take us back there and share what, what led to that. Was it always something you aspired to? What triggered it? Just share a little bit about that journey. Right. So, yeah, it's actually kind of a long one. So, I mean, I started working really, really young. Uh, I My first job I actually took under the table. I was working, uh, funny enough, I was, I was actually at a uh, Chinese takeout restaurant. I was working the phones when I was 15 years old. So I was always wow. working. But I, I came from, on, on my dad's side of the family, it was, it was like a very sort of blue collar, well, sort of ish. They were, they were all like very, very hardworking engineering types. And um, my, my grandfather would always tell these stories about he was, um, he was an engineer at Raytheon back in the day. And he would always tell these, these really like, you know, long stories about how he had this awesome technology. And he always got steamrolled one way or another by some, you know, slick jerk in the accounting department or some, you know, junior VP who thought he knew everything. And he was a technical guy and he, you know, got stopped on a lot of these occasions. So I was kind of being groomed to have sort of a technical education, but I was thinking at the same time, it's like, you know, I really don't want to be at the mercy of these people and these bureaucracies that are going to be like making decisions for me. So as I kind of went across my career, uh, I started off, I worked at a couple of different agencies. I started out agency. I was doing mostly social media stuff. I worked in-house at a different company that was actually doing sort of a marketing technology. They did videos that you could send through emails, which was actually really cool. And then it was pretty much by that point that I kind of determined that I wanted to start my own thing. So by the time I actually got into the corporate world proper, I'd sort of already made my decision to go into something that was something I really wanted to um, start for myself. So I actually ended up uh, winning a business plan competition at my, my college. I went to McGill University in Canada. And by the time I won the, the grant money for that, I actually, that was, that was before I ended up taking my corporate job. So the job that I took was in inside sales. And it was a very deliberate decision because I saw sales as a skill set that any entrepreneur really needs. And I'm, I'm really glad that I made that decision. But at the same time, yeah, it was kind of tempting. So, you know, we were, we were launching the business in stealth mode while I was working there. And, you know, this is going to pretty much make me unemployable to any, <laughs> anyone in the future who's potentially Googling me on this. But maybe it's better that way. 
But anyway, that's right. No, no, no safety net for you there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I, it was always kind of my intention. But um, yeah, and it was end of the the sales crew was great. I ended up getting an uh, offer on the table, and that was that was kind of when I decided to leave because they were actually offering me a position to do field sales in uh, Boston, I believe, at the time, which would have been a huge step up. And I just was like, you know, honestly, I, I can't uh, feel good about taking the you know company's investment in me if I'm planning to leave this in the next three to six months. So. Uh, I ended up selling some of my first case of product for Vitality Sciences, uh, and that was basically all the validation I needed to go out and do that. So basically, Vitality, well, I guess we're going to go to go into Vitality Sciences a bit later, right? Yeah, I'm going to come back to that, but but go ahead and share what you wish at this point. Uh, yeah, so I went into that. So um, that was actually a really interesting experience. It was a it was a business that I'd always kind of been interested in. Um, I always had a really huge fascination with uh, the world of health and nutrition and fitness and stuff like that. And I was really not impressed with the whole quality of some of the companies that were out there because it was seemed like a kind of shady industry to me. So the kind of the um, the background that we were we were kind of approaching the market from was like basically people deserve better. So my partner was actually in the pharmaceutical world, and we were able to source medical grade amino acids um, from you know the top medical supply chains, the same stuff that you'd have in an IV if you were you know in a burn unit or had a heart surgery or something like that, where most of the people in the industry were selling you know basically feed grade amino acids, the kind of stuff you you know you'd add to like your pigs to make sure that they're growing more. So I uh, tried that for a little while, but it ended up being really, really tough. But the thing is, basically, during that time was when I really was able to hone some of the lessons that I learned uh, marketing for those other companies and, and trying to get that off the ground. We were able to get a, a good deal of traction. The company's still you know, plowing along profitably. But I kind of got the impression that it wasn't really going to be the sort of rocket ship that I wanted to invest you know, most of my productive prime in. So I kind of made the really tough decision to uh, stop working with that company and kind of transition into more of an advisory role. Um, and that was around the same time I went to New York City. So I had to really suck it up and I had to go take a corporate job again, which is one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make. The thing was that that was, uh, that was really a lot harder because I'd, I'd known what freedom tasted like. So I was, I was stuck in this job. And again, it was the same thing. I had really no intention of ever making a career out of it. I knew that I was going to make another move. I just didn't really know what the move was going to be. And for the time being, it was actually, you know, this is actually a good piece of advice to anyone who's, who's younger and considering making a move like this. Um, if you end up going to have any sort of success with your startup, you're probably going to end up getting, you know, maybe five or 10 years of resume experience in, a, in the couple of years it's going to take. Cause I was basically in a field sales position that was mostly people that were in, you know, they're 35, 45, et cetera. So I was able to skip a, a big part ahead because of my experience with the first startup. But um, yeah, it was, it was tolerable for a while, but I kind of reached a breaking point. I was, I was trying different things. I probably went through five or six business ideas before I settled on expert engines, but things really came to a head when I had a manager. Uh, my manager at the beginning was actually a really awesome guy. I didn't mind working for him at all. But he got replaced by this dude from Chase Bank, who uh, it's, it's a notorious, uh, <laughs> notorious culture of micromanagement. So I went from having basically, you know, do it yourself. We don't really care what happens as long as you get results to the guy wanted to schedule my calendar 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. You know, I had to send him photocopies of the business cards I'd pick up. It was just ridiculous stuff. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to give myself, you know, 
six weeks to figure this out. It's going to be my, my next, uh, my next commission period. And if it doesn't work out, I'm, uh, you know, I quit, I'm, I'm moving home. So that was when basically things got kicked into gear long to make a tremendously long and frantic story short. I ended up basically uh, honing out what, what was really attractive about the consulting offers that I've been putting out to people. And that was really how expert engine started. Great, great story. Lots of takeaways there. Let me break a couple things down that I want to get a little bit more into. So there's no doubt that initially that influence of what you observed in your life, I think you said it was your grandfather, kind of gave you a different perspective than what's typical as far as this perception of going and getting a great job. You had already, that already kind of been pierced, if you will, or that cover had been pulled back from what you had been seeing and been shared by your family. Would you agree with that, that that kind of influenced then how you looked at getting a job as opposed to going off on your own? Yeah, I was always advised to get a good job. Um, but the thing is that, yeah, it was, it was kind of the, I was, I was watching people's feet instead of their mouths. And when I yeah. saw people, you know, complaining about this, complaining about that, you know, these different sob stories that just, yeah, I figured it wasn't something that I really wanted to set up for my life. Yeah, so that definitely had an influence. And where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, outside of okay. Worcester, if anyone's familiar. It's a horrible place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Worcester fans, don't don't write in to either of us. Huh. So, okay, so then you you had also that experience, which I, I understand completely, of having gone on your own and then having gone back to work for someone for a necessity. But actually, before I go there, key takeaway is that when you did take that first job, especially in sales, you had a vision that this was going to help you develop that skill set, which I agree completely is so critical to the success of anything that we go into. So you had that vision. It was a very purposeful move on your part. But then when you had to go back, it's it's so hard. I completely understand it. I find that every day, every year that I'm separated from working for someone else, it would be that much harder to go back. Of course, I would if I had to, but it's amazing how that is, how quickly you get a taste of it and realize what you can do there and how hard it is to go back, right? Oh, God, it's so tough. And the thing about like sales too is it's like, you know, I consider it the the French foreign legion of corporate America. Like, you know, you could be, <laughs> you know, recovering criminal, doesn't have a driver's license, but, you know, the guy can talk, so... <laughs> and that was the thing. So I, I was able to, I mean, at any time, if, you know, God forbid anything happens, it's, it's something I could go back to, but not, not happily. Yeah. And then the other question I was going to ask, what you answered is why I was curious as I looked at your background, why that shift from vitality science is a completely different space than what you're doing now. Although I get it that there was probably overlap from what you were doing there, marketing. And then when you went back to work, what you were doing for clients. So, but I understand now that the vision and the focus of where you thought it was going to go was different as it turned out. And so you needed to move on to another venture. So let me ask you this question. What, what do you look for when you're looking for the next business idea? What are the, some of the things you listen for or look for? Right. So, I mean, I'd actually like to touch on the whole difference between vitality sciences and expert engines for a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. It's like yeah. The, the business models were, were pretty different. And, and two of the things that I didn't like about uh, working in the uh, physical products business were a, the money that you see in your bank account really isn't something that you can take out of the business. Um, you know, there's huge capital investment up front. You know, you have to keep a lot of money aside for getting your next lot of product. And it kind of limits you in what you can actually do. So I remember when we started that business, uh, we ended up buying you know, half a ton of amino acids for about $50,000, which was a ton of money to me at the time. And basically, 
we didn't have anything for marketing at that point. So in order to get the budget that I would eventually use to, to, to run the paid traffic that ended up finding us some success, I actually had to use this, you know, trench warfare, uh, hand to hand sales with uh, retail stuff, mostly to, to end up getting the, um, the bank account a little bit up. So that I didn't like. The other thing I didn't like about the business was that it was the kind of business that started at zero every single month. So, you know, you had your orders and you, you, there's some level of predictability of what kind of retailers would order or, you know, you have stuff on Amazon. You can kind of expect what it's going to be every week, every month. But, you know, especially in those first days where it was all retail based, it was extremely stressful because, you know, you didn't really know whether you were going to hit the number that you needed to clear what you need to save for the next lot as well as, you know, make rent or pay for, you know, servers or web space or ad budget or whatever. So starting from zero was also really, really stressful. So the converse um, with, with expert engines being a service industry, like well, it's, a ser it's a service business. So you know, clients pay us uh, to manage their accounts. And basically we have a completely different set of things that, that contribute to our overhead, but it's not that we have to save a lot of money like you would for something in the manufacturing space. So for the most part, our billing is recurring. And our expenses are also recurring. So most of the stuff that goes into what we run the business is, uh, you know, stuff like analytics platforms, call tracking, um, various things related to advertising tools, uh, intelligence, stuff like that, and employee salaries and stuff like that. So it's, but there's not any sort of huge capital expenditure that has to happen. So we can scale up, you know, teams to meet the demand. Um, you know, we know exactly how much we're going to have to pay next month for bills. And the difference between that is, you know, what we're going to be able to spend on advertising or investing in a new capability or something like that. So it's a lot more predictable. The recurring revenue, I think, is something that's really, really attractive to me. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And it, it ties into what I look for also in a business. So, again, it's the issue of inventory, which affects cash flow. And so in that type of business where you're manufacturing or distributing something, you have to invest all of this cash up front for which you don't get paid until later. And then even if you're extending terms to those retailers, even more so. So you got to balance all of that. And that was a big challenge. And then it didn't have any of the recurring or subscription-based revenue. It was all retail. So I, I get that. So that's, that's I think, a huge takeaway for our listeners. It is for me because that's one of the things I look at when I look at a potential new opportunity. All right. Thanks for sharing all of that. Let me segue then, Jan, into the, your current business, expertengines.co. And I want to start with this concept that you talk about, which is to match the marketing medium to where your prospects or existing customers are. I think I've got that right, but speak to that to get started on what you all do. Gotcha. Yeah. So for the most part, what we do is we work with a specific kind of client that responds very, very well to Google AdWords and conversion rate optimization and like the special way that we do it. But basically to, to back into the question about the mat, matching the, the market to the medium, um, that's, that's something I, I found is, is one of the most, uh, it, was, it was kind of like a key really discovering this uh, when I was working for Vitality Sciences. So basically we had two products in radically different markets. We had a protein substitute product that we marketed mostly to the outdoors and survival space. And we had an amino acid supplement that we were marketing towards uh, CrossFit and triathlon for the most part. So the thing is, amino acid supplements were sort of a known quantity in the CrossFit space. But um, the whole thing that we were doing with protein replacement in the survival space was completely new. 
And this, uh, there's a book that was written in 1972 by this guy, Eugene Schwartz, one of the greatest copywriters of the whole century, called Breakthrough Advertising. And basically kind of illustrates how this, this stuff makes sense and different things work for different uh, markets. So in the market for survival, we had a huge job in terms of having to educate people what this product was and why they needed it. So different things worked entirely. I mean, basically there's, and there's plus and minuses to everything. So for, for that product, uh, we ended up having a lot of success with stuff like PR outreach. Uh, we worked with a lot of influencers. We did some content marketing. Uh, that worked well because the bar was frankly a bit lower there. I mean, we were the only people who were talking about stuff like this. So it was possible to do that. Um, on the flip side in the CrossFit space, it was impossible to do that. There were so many giants in the supplement world that had, you know, written articles six ways till Sunday on, on how amino acids could benefit you or this or that and all these comparisons and blah, blah, blah. And it was really impossible to break through. But, you know, at the same time, uh, when, when you had things that were, were a little bit closer to people who were looking for amino acids, that was, that was kind of how we were able to target people with, with paid traffic because they were farther along in the decision-making process. So to take that back to in general, it's basically you have to kind of know, and this, the whole concept that, that Eugene Schwartz laid out was the levels of market sophistication. So, I mean, you, you go on one end completely unaware of the problem, then people are aware of the problem but not aware of the solution, then they're aware of the solution, then they're aware of your solution, and then they're most aware at which point they actually end up buying. So the clients that we work with, uh, a lot of the times it's, it's we, we work with a lot of law firms just because they happen to satisfy that most aware sort of thing. So, you know, if somebody ends up, uh, you know, having a slip and fall on the street, they're, they're really injured, uh, they might search injury, slip and fall lawyer in New York City. And by the time they've entered that term, they've already made a decision to hire a lawyer. Now, if somebody had, uh, you know, some really, it's a, a new product or something like that. All right, I'll give you an example. So there was a person that I met the other day and he, he has a, um, this is actually, it, it sounds like a joke, but it's, he actually has a better mousetrap. <laughs> he's, he's, he's actually a mousetrap guy. But um, the thing is basically there's really not a, a way that he's going to be able to get in front of people unless, you know, he's, he's bidding for expensive terms like mousetrap um, because he, he's not going to be able to convince people from a, you know, 70 character text ad why his mousetrap is better. Um, so something like that might be, he might have a better job doing content marketing in the extermination space or, you know, pursuing partnerships with people that are already existing there. And, and, but really it's like, he has to educate people on the product before they understand why it's better, especially if it's a premium product. So basically people have to kind of realize where they're at because, you know, if you have the best AdWords manager in the world and the best campaign, the best creative, the biggest budget but you're not in a market where people are literally typing in what you need to do, um, you're going to waste your money. And the thing is, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't really take the diligence, whether it's from not knowing better or from not having the, uh, you know, the marketing ethics to, to take a retainer like that. But the thing is that, you know, you, you can't assume that uh, the agency that you're working with really knows that your particular service is right for what they're proposing. Uh, and a lot of times too, it's, it's, you know, if people have, uh, you know, it's man with a hammer syndrome, you know, they see everything is a nail and sometimes it isn't. And then, you know, who's going to be putting the bill at the end of the day. Yeah. Got it. So let me dive in a little deeper when it comes to pay-per-clip PPC ads, is it uh, still Google AdWords or is it Facebook right now? Or does it still completely depend on the audience you're trying to reach and what you're selling. Right. I would definitely say the third. So Facebook is fabulous too. And, and we have a, a handful of clients that we work on Facebook with 
But again, it's like it's it's sort of a different thing. So the the headspace of somebody that's typing in injury lawyer New York City on Facebook is very different than somebody who's you know you're you kind of have to treat Facebook as an entertainment platform, and you really have to meet people where they're at. So the kind of stuff that I've seen working really well on Facebook because you're you're targeting demographics, and you got to assume that your ads going to be sandwiched between everyone's baby pictures and the video of a cat doing something silly and all this different stuff. So you have to attract their attention, which is very difficult, and you have to make sure that there's there's some way to get back to them. So you know the things that I've seen working really well, you know, if you know what your audience is interested in, and you provide something that could be a free guide. One of the things that we did for for Survive Amino that worked really well was um, it was called it was called Survival Nutrition Secrets, and we were targeting people who were you know organizations that were like American Preppers Network, um, a lot of the people in the preparedness space. And they just resonate with that kind of information. That's that's entertaining to them. So it works really well just to sneak that into their newsfeed. And then those people will gladly give you an email for an ebook. You know, of course, you have to make some good content. But that's that's kind of how I see Facebook work. But the thing is, basically, that my comparison between between Google and Facebook, like this kind of this kind of maps to the whole Eugene Schwartz thing as well. It's like basically Google you know, you're starting from, you know, third and goal with five yards to go. You're either going to get that ball and run it across the line, or you're going to pay for the click and nothing's going to happen. Facebook is like a punt return. So you got to start way out there. And as long as you have a way to get it down the field, you can still score a goal. You just have to understand that it's going to be different steps, different kinds of work and, you know, more things which can potentially go wrong. But if you have everything right, there's no reason why you can't make that work either. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And I I think also on Facebook, if you have something you're offering that relates to one of the demographic categories that you can create an audience for in Facebook, then that's even better. Uh, But it depends because, you know, there's not always a match there. So that that means, you know, if I'm continuing with that analogy, I get the punt on the 45 yard line and I have a better chance. Right. Versus in Google. I don't have, as far as I know, the ability to create an audience based on their demographics. Am I right there? Mostly. So for Google search traffic, that is true. Uh, For the Google Display Network, they're actually getting a lot more capabilities for that. And the thing is, so Display Network is basically, you know, 80% of the banner space is runs through Google in one way or another. And they have all kinds of inventory, like you wouldn't even believe, um, all these impressions and all these different sites. And they're, uh, it's actually a very important competitive network for them because this is how they kind of stack up against Facebook. And to that point, they've actually beefed up their demographics. So they have these things called in-market audiences. Um, it's actually very cool. It's, it hasn't really been relevant for any of the clients we've been working with. But you, know, you, could, you can have an audience of people who are in the market for, say, uh, a car right now or they're looking for insurance right now. And they know this based on browsing history, uh, based on life events, um, you know, if they've moved their house and the IP address is different, stuff like that. So Google's actually getting a little bit closer with that, but it's exclusively on the display network. Yeah. And, and I know in some cases you don't even recommend, you recommend turning off that default on the display network. So again, it just depends. And that's where you come in and helping people determine, is that the route to go or not? Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, generally speaking, display network is, it is potentially a hundred times more uh, complicated, but it could be a hundred times more profitable as well. It's um, it is a big ocean to swim in and there are some big sharks, botnets, other advertisers. It's, it's really hairy, but um, yeah, no, I almost always recommend people 
start with search traffic on, on Google and expand uh, once that's tapped out. Yeah. So for me, what this all begins to lead to is why people need to look at hiring someone like you is because it is so complicated. And as I, we both spoke to at the outset, it's what I think paralyzes small business owners. So if I take it then to, I know you've got a very unique thought on this whole topic of lead generation, especially that campaigns have to be tied then to a proper landing page that actually converts. So just share with us a little bit about that and what small business owners need to think about so that they actually have effective campaigns that they can stay committed to. Right. Yeah. And this is, this is super important on Google search network, but it's, it's also, you know, any kind of paid traffic that you're doing, it's really important to keep this stuff into consideration. And it's, it's kind of tough because you have to tie together uh, a couple of different skill sets. So, you know, if you're looking at somebody who's going to end up making a paid ads campaign work, you have to know AdWords. You got to know how to pick your keywords. You have to write some ad copy that works. But also a lot of people will just stop there, which is which is kind of unfortunate. And this is kind of one of the things that I'll get back to in a little bit. But basically, a lot of the education that's coming from people like Google and Facebook doesn't really focus on the post-click experience, which doesn't really matter to them because they're getting paid either way. But it's right. extremely important for people. I mean, you it's it's very easy to spend money on paid traffic. It's 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 pretty challenging to get it back. So basically, the whole conversion thing, and, and I, I think this is this is a really important takeaway for anyone who wants to do this stuff seriously is that you have to make sure that your message is consistent all the way through. Uh, you don't want to say, you know, I'm going to use a ridiculous example. Let's say you're running a fruit store, right? If somebody clicks on an ad for bananas, you don't want to take them to, you know, the general display where they have every single vegetable under the sun, you know, or, and fruit. Uh, if somebody clicks on bananas, they should go to a, a page that says, okay, these are our bananas. We have the best bananas for X, Y, and Z. We've been in the banana business for 70 years. And then when you land on that and you have that experience, you're, first of all, it's more relevant to you as the user. And that kind of gives you a piece of confidence that says, okay, this is what these guys do. I like this. And that's, that's really, that, that whole experience really translates to higher conversion rates. So, and I see this all the time in law too. It's, it's, you know, a lot of times, cause the lawyers are, are assailed by by marketers constantly. Uh, yeah, no, because, well, that's the thing. They, they, they have money to spend sometimes. And, you right. know, you, you end up dropping ten or $20,000 on some fancy pants web design. And you don't want someone who's, who's talking about ads and say, hey, look, you need, a, you need landing pages now. Well, it's like, well, I just paid $20,000 for this site. <laughs> Why do I need this? And then they end up driving to the home traffic. And then it's just like the fruit stand, right? So, you know, you have an immigration lawyer. They're going to be looking for something like an O2 visa. And then they go to this general, you know, this general page with the Statue of Liberty and, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities for somebody to lose that click. And that's what you really don't want to do. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of my philosophy is relevance because it works for everyone involved. It's a better experience for the user. Um, it's a better experience for you as the person running the ads because you're going to get a better ROI. And it's better for Google as well because they're going to keep you in the system as an advertiser. But yeah, it's, it's not something that a lot of people focus on, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's that congruency. And like I said, that post-click experience, and it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't even just end at the landing page. It might be something that requires uh, an immediate response, or it's a request that maybe can be handled by email. So it all, all of that needs to be in sync such that you are able to react to that opportunity as quickly as possible, or as the type of opportunity might dictate, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing too. I mean, one of the uh, pieces of research we uh, used to use actually one of those old, the video, the video marketing company used to work with back in the day. 
Um, there's this huge study by, I believe it was a professor at Wharton, and they showed that there was something like a hundred times increase on the likelihood of getting a lead on the phone if you called them within five minutes as opposed to within an hour. So if you're ever doing that sort of lead generation, that's a, that's a huge, and you, you're not going to see that in your Google AdWords dashboard, but it's a, it's a huge thing to just in terms of, of running a tight business, that's going to make some really, uh, really good return on your investment. Yeah. And that's, that's where you help people with putting that all together. The other thing I think that you speak to is this concept of a commitment to a campaign. So share with me a little bit more about what you mean there. Well, yeah. So this all kind of goes back to this, this principle of statistics, um, like the law of large numbers. So basically a lot of the times people don't have, it's, it's really scary. And, you know, I, I encountered this uh, on my own when I was just getting started with Vitality Sciences that, you know, you have really no idea. You've been, you've been reading blog posts for a while and you start to think that maybe this paid traffic thing is going to work. So you, maybe you're talking to your partner, maybe you're talking to your, you know, your, your life partner. And cause a lot of the times these small businesses, it's, it's your personal checking accounts. that's going to, it's going to run this. And right. you kind of have the situation where you want to commit, but you can't really commit fully. And that's almost, I mean, I would say that's worse than not committing at all. So for, for most of our clients, we don't recommend getting started with a budget of less than $1,000 per month. And the reason for that is because it's really tough to have statistical significance with something that's smaller than that. So, I mean, should I go over the, the people know about the, the law of large numbers? No, I, I think you could dive into that a bit more because it's a, a great concept that really applies to this. Yeah. So basically, you know, here's the deal. Like I, I kind of like uh, the analogy of blackjack. So um, statistically, blackjack is one of the better games you can play at a casino because the house advantage is pretty slight. You know, it's 51-49 or something like that. Um, but you can go on these crazy runs and you can have you can be up when you win, you know, 10 hands in a row or you can be down when you run two hands or 10 hands in a row. And I'm not a degenerate gambler or anything like that, but this is, there's a certain <laughs> amount of money uh, that's larger than the blinds that you should sit down at the table with to ensure that you don't go bust. So a lot of times people will go to blackjack and because of the way it works, you can go up and down. But I mean, overall, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to about 49.51 or something like that. So the analogy here with if you don't have a budget that's large enough, so let's say you're sitting down at a $10 blackjack table and you have 30 bucks. So if you lose three hands in a way, it's game over, right? That doesn't mean that blackjack overall has a hundred percent loss rate. If you sat down with $3,000, you could probably sit at that table all night because you'd have runs up, you'd have runs down. It's, it's kind of a, a random displacement. Like it's, it's a random distribution of chance, but the more, the larger the sample size of the events that are taking place, the more likely it is to approach the real odds of that happening. And, and this exists within every single advertising campaign. So you might say that, okay, look, this is going to, this campaign is going to convert at between 10% and 30%. You know, sometimes it might convert at 2%. The next time it might convert at, you know, 50%, who knows? And like going to the blackjack table without enough money to really see whether this is something that's a good shot. And then look, if you sat down with 30 bucks and you lost it, then you're just going to say blackjack sucks and never play it again. So you need to have a certain amount. And for, for most, for most clients, I recommend that, that, that amount to be about a thousand dollars. That would probably be good for if, you know, if you're dealing with a cost per click in between, you know, maybe five and $15, if it starts to get higher than that, you might want to look at a little bit more, but it's just to make sure that you have, um, at the end of the thousand dollar budget, what you want to know 
is what is going to be my cost per lead and ideally what is going to be my dollars in versus dollars out. Because if you can get that number, then you can plan and that's really what is going to allow you to leverage up your marketing efforts in, in a predictable way. Of course, not only is it easy to spend money on a marketing campaign, but it's also easy to lose focus if you don't have some kind of commitment up front. So chat with us about that, the commitment that you think is required and you typically see for successful campaigns. Well, to be honest, I one of the things that we do at Expert Engines is, is really different than a lot of other companies is, is you know, we usually like to see, we, we can make a decision on whether the account's going to work or not within the first month. We don't really require too much of a commitment. And that's the thing, because it's like, you know, things will change in terms of what you're going to hone down in your ad copy or your landing pages or, or you know, a lot of different things like that. But, you know, it, when you're working with somebody that has experience and has those kind of results, um, you know, we usually, we have client accounts. We, we've, we've missed this one time this year with, with legal clients. We've gotten leads for every single client we've, we've signed except for one this year within 72 hours of getting started. And because the traffic's already taken care of. And for the most part, people already know what kind of law you practice or, you know, what your service offering is if, if we end up taking them as a client. Um, so we can usually tell within the first month. It's not like a huge exercise in faith. Um, the learning curve's a little bit higher. If you're going to be doing it for yourself, it might be a couple months. Um, but, you know, sometimes if, if the, the thing that the, the big benefit of paid traffic is that you do find results fast. It's not like a content marketing or social media where it's going to be six or 12 months before you really start to see whether it was working or not. Jan, when it comes to online marketing, can you share an example of a small business that's getting it right? Yeah. So actually, there's a, there's a, this is a software that we use a lot here at Expert Engines. It's a, it's a Canadian company called Unbounce, and I'm not a content marketer, but I have a lot of respect for people that do content marketing right, and uh, these guys definitely do it right. So they have these, they're, they're, the way that they do their content calendar is really brilliant because everything kind of dovetails together. So they have a series of blog posts. Um, they'll usually have a featured guide that comes out every month or a couple of months, and it, it goes into some stuff that's really, really uh, it's, it's great high value content about conversion rate optimization, which is basically what their software facilitates. And then at the end of the month, they usually have uh, a really cool webinar with an expert in the space. And that's usually how they get people to sign up for the free trials and get, they get people on their mailing list through the blog. Um, they have related podcasts going out all the time. Um, they'll syndicate their presentation onto SlideShare. They really just do a great job of, of taking a piece of content and really syndicating it and hitting it every single different way. So it just kind of dominates and you can find it pretty much any way you want. And at the same time, uh, they're really providing high value stuff. Like somebody who's looking to get into conversion rate optimization. It's one of the, it's one of the better resources that you can use to, to get to that from scratch. And then look, if you, if you learned all this stuff, it's a pretty logical step to use the software that this is, you know, the, the kind of education they're putting out is, is, was written in. So it's uh, it's a pretty good layup, and I just see yeah, I have a lot of respect for the stuff they're putting out. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Jan. What is it about Expert Engines, your business, that is unique? So what really makes us unique is that we were kind of designed, uh, you know, it was, it was by small business and for small business. So the key differentiations are basically if you work with us, this is all you really need to get a lead generation campaign off the ground. We're totally full stack. We take care of the AdWords conversion rate optimization, analytics, call tracking. Um, you basically just bolt it on and our monthly reports aren't, you know, all these complicated graphs about clicks and stuff. It's, it's saying, okay, look, we drove 60 calls. 
let's talk about which ones ended up turning into closed business. Let's watch, talk about which ones didn't and let's work and moving forward. It's, it's very real actionable stuff and it's kind of a one piece. Um, the other thing that makes us really different is that we do not work like other agencies in terms of contracts. So most times when you're working with a digital agency, they're going to try to get you to sign something that's six or 12 months. And for the most part, that's a matter of necessity because, you know, in the same way that you wouldn't want to start a budget with, with not that much for, for AdWords, um, you know, especially when you consider these channels like social media and content marketing, it's really a, a compounding effect thing. So if you start at the, uh, you know, the slow part of the curve, you might as well not have done it at all. So they kind of need you to do that. Um, we actually don't have any cl uh, contracts with our clients. It's, it's all monthly billing. Um, people can cancel whenever they want. Uh, it's very rare that they do. But uh, in our opinion, you know, if we're not really delivering the goods as far as the leads come, then there's no reason for them to be working with us anyway. So basically, uh, it makes it easier in those things, too, because we have like, you know, a lot of the, the clients that we work with, that's, it's sole proprietors. Um, it's people that are, you know, trying to take their business to the next level. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's really not easy money for them to spend. But, uh, you know, we, we try to hold their hand and take them through it and make sure that they get the results as quickly as possible. Wonderful. Uh, is there a book or a resource that you would recommend to our listeners? So a recent one that I think is definitely worth checking out is a book called 80-20 Marketing by Perry Marshall. So Perry Marshall, is a, he's a big, uh, big figure in the, the AdWords world. Um, but he also has like a really good approach on, on marketing strategy in general. So I, uh, you know what, I, I, I don't know if he still has this, but if, if I can find this, I'll have you put it in the show notes. Um, he used to offer this this book for free. Just you just paid shipping and something. I got it a couple of years ago. Um, really great primer on all this this kind of old school, which all really harkens back to the to the whole school of direct response copywriting. Um, but kind of applying that stuff and, and it's it's that sort of mindset uh, based around ROI and stuff that it really if you can combine that with the technical knowledge, that's when you're going to really start to see your marketing take off. Thanks for that recommendation. So we'll have a link to that book recommendation as well as all of the other uh, references and notes that we've talked about at thehowofbusiness.com. And so Jan, as we start to wrap it up, I know you have a special offer for our listeners, I believe. Okay, awesome. So uh, we have some special resources available at expertengines.co slash T-H-O-B for the how of business. So basically, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty simple. I have some PDFs. It's going to be some, some resources that you can use to kind of determine what sort of traffic channels will work well with you. And uh, it's going to be pretty simple. You just enter your email. You'll get the, the, the downloads and everything like that. And um, if you like the kind of stuff that we're talking about today, uh, it's the kind of stuff I talk about on my mailing list as well. So that's something you can tune into. No, I think that's a fantastic offer. So our listeners can find a link to that on the show notes page again at the howofbusiness.com. And I believe they can find you at expertengines.co. Is that correct? Yeah, expertengines.co is the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I really like to eat my own dog food on this. Uh, not, not a big social media guy, not a big content marketing guy, but we do put out blog posts every once in a while. So um, if you want to subscribe to that or, or get on the mailing list, we'll be able to see stuff when it comes out. Um, we try to stick to, I mean, there's some tactical stuff as far as new things that are cool in AdWords. But uh, a lot of times I really think this, this marketing strategy stuff is you know, the bedrock of what makes a campaign successful a lot. So really do enjoy writing about that stuff as well. Jan, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge. It's uh, greatly appreciated and we appreciate your time. Henry, it's been a pleasure and uh, thank you very much for uh, the interview as well. Folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The How of Business. You can find all of the links and show notes at thehowofbusiness.com. 
if you're listening to us on iTunes, we would invite you and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The Howell Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.